morning. Uh, like jumping into a cold pool, we are going to jump straight into this chapter this morning because it's packed with commands on how uh, the Christian community should care and express love for one another. But as we'll see in our passage this morning, these commands that have been given don't just come out of the blue. Paul isn't saying, worship God and love each other just because I tell you. It's not what's going on here. These commands are motivated by the mercy of God in our lives. And we see that in the first phrase as we open the scriptures this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, which is brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. And this sets the stage for everything that Paul is going to talk about in chapter 12. As he's just spent the previous 11 chapters giving us the most wonderful, awe-inspiring pictures of God's mercy anywhere in the Bible. Let me quickly, and when I say quickly, uh, summarise the chapters that have come before our passage today. In Romans 1 to 3, we have a picture of how God's wrath is upon sinners, how all of us in our sin deserve the judgment of God. And we look at the different things and we think we are stuffed, what are we to do? But then you get to Romans 3, 23 and 26, which says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is a sacrifice by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, the ju- might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are declared righteous before God because of his grace alone. It's not based on any of the works that we do, and that's what Romans 4 and 5 is all about. We're justified by faith through Jesus Many religions teach that you have to earn your salvation and that you'll get to heaven because of all the good things that you've done, like a credit system. But the Bible doesn't teach this. In fact, the Bible reveals that it's impossible to earn anything, earn our way to heaven. But the good news is, is that you don't have to. God has made a way through his son. Jesus saved us from our sins, not based on the works we've done, but based on faith in Christ and what he has done for our sins. That's what Romans 6 is all about. We have died to sin and we're alive in Christ. In Romans 7, Paul talks about his struggle with sin and it's interesting to read the the kind of picture that he gives us. He says, that which I hate, that I do, and the things that I want to do, I do not do. What a wretched man that I am. And we all recognise that struggle in this room this morning because that's the Christian life. We all struggle with sin. 
and we can feel so hopeless. But then we get to chapter 8, which opens with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then Paul goes into this incredible chapter talking about how wonderful God is and he ends with neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present thing or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love in Christ. And then it gets even better in Romans 9 to 11, which is all about God's free grace that he pours out on us. So after all these chapters and with that background, Paul says, now in light of all that God has done, live this way. Can we see what is being set up here? We in the church are motivated and moulded by the mercy of God that he has first shown us in Christ. It drives everything we do as Christians. So when we look at the opening of chapter 12, we notice a couple of things that just jump straight off the page. First, we see that we are to exalt the mercy of God in our worship. That's what verses 1 and 2 are all about. And we could actually spend the rest of our morning just on these two verses. But as we're looking at most of the chapter this morning, we're actually going to move pretty fast over this. But basically, verses 1 and 2 take us back to the Old Testament where God's people would bring sacrifices and lay them on the altar before God. And now Paul is saying you you don't bring an animal to the altar, you bring your entire life to the altar, so to speak. That's what it means to be a Christian. Your life is a living sacrifice. Your life is to be lived before God. Your mind, your will, everything that we are is to be surrendered to God. And again, If we understand the gospel, it's because we want to. We're motivated by the incredible love and mercy that we find in Christ. And it's in light of this and his love that we lay everything that we are before him. This is what it is to truly worship God. Second, we see that we express this mercy that we have received as children of God And we express it in community with one another. We exalt the mercy of God in worship. And then right after that, Romans 12 immediately starts talking about how we treat one another in community. Can we see the connection? We we exalt God's mercy in worship. Then we express God's mercy in community. Our vertical relationship with God has a direct effect on our horizontal relationships with one another. And we see this when Paul says, by the grace given to me, and then he goes into the commands for the church. Today, as we're together again, we've gathered to exalt God's mercy in worship 
and to express God's mercy to one another in community. It's both. They're married. They go together. And we cannot disconnect the two. This means that we can't gather today for worship and then have nothing to do with each other after. That would make no sense. This is why Christians can't be content with anonymously sitting in a worship service then walking away after church with no real meaningful connection and community in the body of Christ. It's not what God has designed the church to be. So this morning we need to think through how to express God's mercy to one another in community and then encourage one another to work towards this. And as we're going to see, this involves every single one of us. Now, starting in verse 3, the rest of Romans 12 contains about 25 commands and exhortations based on the mercy of God. And when we see these commands, nearly all of them are specifically applying to relationships within the church. This chapter isn't saying do all of this with all people. It's saying do these things together with one another in the church. And when we see one another in the Bible, it's referring to to Christian community. Now, as I said, there's 25 commands. And I thought if I wrote a 25-point sermon, a lot of heads here would explode, including my own. So I've tried to uh, get that down to just 10 commands. And I know a lot of you are like, no, 10 commands. But we'll go through them quickly, I promise. As I want to show you the important one another's. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to be focusing around that word one another's that characterize a biblical community and biblical fellowship. So what does it look like? The first one another is we belong to one another. Verses 4 and 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Let's listen to that last phrase. Individually we're members one of another. It's saying we belong to one another. Just as parts of a body belong together and are connected, so in Christ we are connected to one another. And it sounds simple, but this is vital to remember when we, when we look at this. Christ is the one who connects us together. We're not connected together by our ethnic background, our economic status, our politics. We're not connected even by our footy teams. This is why we have to be careful that we we don't congregate around those who share those same things and look at those things to connect us. In fact, this is why in the church we really need to regularly be around people of different cultures and different socioeconomic backgrounds and different political persuasions. We might think about who we hang out with in church. Do they look like you? Do they think like you? Do they, um, do they speak like you? Are they like you when it comes to things like your footy team and that's as deep as your kind of connection goes or your political persuasions? 
If so, we need to be careful that we're not looking at these things. We're the kind of community that's designed to have differences where we can look at each other and say, the only thing that I have in common with this brother and sister is Christ. And that is enough. This is because the church is a distinct community to the rest of the world. In Christ, we belong to one another like a body. We are family. It's been an, an incredible experience um, falling deep, deeper in love with my children. And when I come home uh, after uni and, and I can hear them and as I come through the front door and I can hear them running down the hallway and literally tripping over themselves so we can have cuddles and kisses and talk about our day. Every day I, I thank God for them. I find myself thanking God for them my family, and brothers and sisters, this is how God has designed his church to be. We're meant to love being around one another because we're family. But we often miss this because we can kind of see church as a social club or a place to get around like-minded people. God has one family from every tribe and nation. And God has designed us to be deeper than even a physical family. And so at this point, this is important for us to get because some of you here today may have been rejected by your family because you have come to faith in Christ. Some of you feel, might feel like you, you no longer have that deep connection and that relationship that you used to because you follow Jesus. There are all sorts of people who have been kicked out of their families because they've become Christians. But let this verse encourage you from our Lord this morning. From Matthew 19, Jesus says, and Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. In Christ, church, we are family. We belong to one another. But not only this, secondly, we're gifted for one another. Romans 12 continues, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul starts listing the different gifts. He says, God has gifted every one of us in the church by the Holy Spirit with gifts for the building up of the church. This means that Everybody in this church who's put their faith in Jesus has a spiritual God-given, spirit-empowered gift for the building up of the church. Now, our gifts are, are different, and yes, they do have different functions, but that's the beauty of what Paul is drawing out here. Everybody counts. Think of the image he gives us of the body. Each body part is interdependent and necessary for the body's health. So in Christ, this means that God has created you right where you are sitting this morning with gifts that are of immense value to the body of Christ. This is another reason why we can't be content with just sitting and being on the fringes. We're supposed to be using our God-given gifts in the body. And here, Paul lists seven 
um, gifts for us. But then we look at different lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter and we see other things that he talks about. So the purpose here is not to give an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, so to speak, so we can sit around and say, which ones do I have? The point is that everybody is gifted by Christ in some way. So use your gifts to build up one another. As I was thinking about this, though, this week, I think we're prone to miss this. I think we, we, we kind of fall into the mindset that, yeah, other people have gifted, but I don't think I am. And we can fall into the, tri- uh, the trap of being content with other people using their gifts while we kind of sit back on the fringes. But that's not what we're seeing in our passage here. Everybody is gifted. This means that some of you need to stop wondering if God has something for you to do in this community where you are today. I mean, just think about what it would look like if every member of Fremantle Church was prayerfully and meaningfully engaged in this family and the life of the community with the talents, gifts and abilities that you've each been given. Some of you are incredibly gifted artists and musicians who have songs and ideas floating about which will encourage the church to dwell deeply on God's word. Others others of you might have a talent for looking after kids and communicating the wonderful truths of the gospel. Some of you might love lending a hand and the the trades that you've learnt, um, helping people out for free. And some of you are mamas ready to love and care for the unlovable in the community. This is a glorious thought that we don't want to miss this morning. This is what it means to be family, to be church. We belong to one another and we're gifted for one another. Third, we love one another. Romans 9, uh, 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. This is not fake, superficial love. This is deep, authentic, real, powerfully committed love. The word Paul uses for love here is agape, which refers to selfless love. And to love like this was mocked by many in Greek culture as a sign of weakness. But this is the word Jesus used in the New Testament to describe the love that we are to have for one another. We don't love each other based on what we can get from each other. We love one another selflessly, sincerely, to the point that we lay our lives down for one another. Fourthly, we care for one another. Romans 12.10 commands, love one another with brotherly affection. And that's a, that's a great phrase that he uses, brotherly love. Again, it's that picture of family affection. But take this to a deeper level. Let's, let's think about this practic- practically. Think about your family and the responsibilities you have with them. And take that and apply it to the church. As I was thinking about this this week, I thought about a way this reality would be reflected even this morning. Knowing that as we are spending time together in this room, 
Uh, there are people in other rooms right at this moment who are caring for our kids, who are teaching them the Bible as they would their own children. And that's, a, that's an incredible picture of family serving one another. The opposite of family affection is not good. But unfortunately, this is a, a common approach to church in our culture. The opposite of family affection is when people come to church and they think, well, I want church to be done my way today. The parking had better be convenient. The building had better be accessible. The people had better be friendly. The music had better not be too loud and fit my taste. And the sermon had better be engaging and the preacher had better be clean shaven. <laughs> or else I'll look somewhere else. Now, I want to be careful when I present this picture because the truth is we all have needs when we come together and we want those needs met. But here's where the problem comes. When we think the way to meet those needs is by thinking primarily about ourselves. When the Bible actually gives us a totally different picture God has actually designed our needs to be met as we think, pray, and care for one another. And that's a totally different way of doing community to the rest of the world. Everyone in the world is, is kind of inclined to say, I like this community because of what I get from it. But in the church, community is designed to be focused on what can I give? That means we're not the centre of this community. God is. And that is good news this morning. Because he has created us to find joy in selfless, not selfish community. The church is like, is like, is not, is, is unlike any other community in the world. It's the kind of community that is filled with people that know the love and the mercy of God and the overflow of that is a group of people that are selflessly loving and totally focused on other people. This is an incredible picture of the church. Fifth, we honour one another. Romans 12.10 says, Outdo one another in showing honour. And we work hard to honour one another and build one another up, never tearing each other down. Ephesians 4 adds to this and warns against gossip, which is an absolute community killer. It grieves the spirit of God and quenches his movement in the church when brothers and sisters are tearing each other down. We must guard our tongues and look for opportunities to outdo one another in honour. Six, we motivate one another. Verses 11 and 12 is a picture of spiritual passion and zeal for Christ. And we pray for one another, encourage one another, and we consider how to spur one another on and towards love and good deeds. And it's incredible, those people that you meet who are so passionate for God and love Jesus and they just want to tell people and you're, you're spurred on because they're not telling you, go and do this, be like me. It's their love for Christ makes you just want to get into your prayer room, 
We spur one another on. Seventh, we share one another. And this, uh, this applies specifically to our resources. Romans 12, 13 says, we contribute to the needs of the saints. That word translated as um, contribute uh, is from the root word koinonia, the word for fellowship. And 12 different times in the New Testament, it's used to refer specifically to the giving and sharing of our resources in community. It's what we see, it's a picture that we see in Acts 2 when they were selling lands, houses and possessions and then bringing those resources together so no one was missing out. It's not a picture of a communist society, it's a picture of a society, uh, sorry, a community with sacrificial generosity. And this means that being in a Christian community involves contributing to one another in a way that there's there's, when there's needy people among us, that we help them with our resources. This is a good and biblical thing to do, to share our resources in the church. Think about what that would look like if everybody was doing that, not just a few at the core. Think about the possibilities for displaying the glory of Christ in the community of Fremantle. Verse 13 goes on to say, to share with one another, which includes hospitality, sharing and bringing people into your home. Eighth, we rejoice with one another. In Romans 12, 15, uh, we're, connected, uh, we're commanded not to envy others' successes. We rejoice with them. And like so much of the world, when people are doing well, we don't tear them down. We don't get into competition with them. We celebrate them with them in all kinds of ways. Ninth, we weep with one another. Who do you know in the church who will rejoice with you in your highs? And who are the people in the church you know who will weep with you in your lows? I'm guessing for many of you, there's specific names that would pop up straight away. And maybe for others, there are not specific names that come to mind. But I would ask this question another way. Who in the church would come to you with something to rejoice or weep over? We see that intimacy is such an integral part of being the church. Tenth, and the final one another that I'll bring out this morning, is we bear with one another. Romans 12, 16 says... Live in harmony with one another. Now, I phrase this bear with one another because living in harmony with one another is sometimes easier said than done. I mean, like any family on the face of the planet, there are those that are a little harder to have a cuddle with at Christmas time when you see them once a year. David Platt says this well. He says, harmony with one another requires humility before one another. Which is why the next words from God are, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is the reality. The church, the community of Christ, is full of sinful men and women. It won't always be this way, but 
When we get to heaven, we will be perfected. But for now, sometimes we say things we wish we had not said. And we've done things to each other we wish we hadn't had done. However, if we're going to live in harmony together, we'll have to bear with one another for some time to come. It's another reason why we have to be very careful, particularly in the church, not to surround ourselves with people who are naturally like us or whom we naturally like. If we're not around people we're having to bear with, then maybe we're missing out on what God has designed for us in community. This is why Romans 12, 16 says, associate with the lowly. Go out of your comfort zone where you will learn to live in harmony with people who are unlike you. Learn to bear with one another and experience the unity that's only found in Christ. As we wrap this up this morning, basically the other commands that we find in our passage that we didn't look at or focus on are how to relate to the world around us. The church is not supposed to be a picture of people who just come to a building once a week, go through some religious motions, have a little handshake, and then return to our normal lives. However, in some ways, that's so much easier. Just come in, participate in the service, then walk out and so you don't have to deal with the hard-to-love people in the church. It's a lot easier to live in isolation. It's a lot harder to take time to be with people who are different from you, to carry their burdens, to serve and work together with them, to reach people without Christ. But we see the glory of God in display in a church which is committed to that kind of community. And it's totally different from any other type of community in the world. Outside the church, we want to be a reflection of the mercy of God in all we do. And that is what God has invited all of us to be part of. It's as we love one another as family in the church that we glorify the mercy of God in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... Uh, we're not left alone in any of this, that we don't have to guess what you were like, that you have come to us, that you have sent your son, that you have dealt with our sin, that you have drawn us to yourself. Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who are a, a wonderful picture of a family in this community of Fremantle. And Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit spurs them on and, and they get excited for being around each other even more so than they are already. Lord, I thank you that they're a welcoming church and a loving church. And Father, I pray that many see the kingdom reflected, your mercy, from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.